Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today we have finally reconnected after a long time. Peter said that he's going to, I don't want to say make an excuse because it's not that. It's just that the world went crazy and so, well, our worlds went crazy. And so um, I'm glad to finally be back in the same recording space as he is and I'm thrilled about today. So last week... In Peter's absence, Gordon Pike stepped in and did an admirable job, and we talked about Job, and so to quickly recap, I know you, the loyal listener, know everything that went on, but Peter wasn't here, so he doesn't necessarily know. We talked about Job, and it was the segment after you have friend Job, friend Job, friend Job, finally Eliphaz speaks, and Job makes this well Eliphaz leaves off with this you know you know you did something what is it you need to humble yourself and Job jumps on that and starts just going off and demands that he have this face off with God and one line that we kind of keyed in on was Job saying would I be able to prove my case no but at least I God would hear me out that'd be great mm-hmm. and so a lot of times when we were talking about that we made allusions to the verses we're going to read today because we'd say well Job's demanding this and when God shows up that happens and so we're going to get some of the that happens today and therefore I needed to set that up so that you know that we've already talked about the setup to this and so yeah, let me read. Uh, this is from the Common English Bible, and this is Job 38, 1 through 7. Uh, the lectionary appoints a, a whole additional set of verses, but we'll keep it short and sweet for you. And this should be familiar. It's one of the most well-known lines. Verse uh, 4 in particular is one of the most well-known lines in Job. So listen now for the word of the Lord. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this darkening counsel with words lacking knowledge? Prepare yourself like a man. I will interrogate you and you will respond to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know. Who set its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring tape on it? On what were its footings sunk? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang in unison and all the divine beings shouted? So that was Job 38, 1 through 7. And what stood out to me is that this is one of the few times where, I mean, the message is always fairly the same, but this is one of the few times where you read it in that translation and I'm looking at NRSV and it's almost exactly the same. Hmm. Usually it's fairly different in the wording and I don't know what that means, but maybe the, the Hebrew is quite clear and uh, they don't have as much interpretation by translation yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's, it's good to know. And, but I'm, I'm glad that the, that there's sort of a, a consistency across uh, you know, across translations, it seems like God is speaking very clearly to Job in this passage. So I'm glad that the Hebrew 
comes forth clearly to whatever translator or uh, in- interpreter yeah, is, and, is reading it. And I wonder, and I maybe maybe you know, I don't know, but how, how much do you think the listener cares <laughs> about these translations? Like last night we were in our Bible study in Acts, and we came upon the word Lord. And mm-hmm. I start going, well, you know, the word kurios in Greek can be translated this way, this way, this way. You know, in the Old Testament, when you see Lord with all capitals, it's pretty much only translated one way. And, and, and then, so it's an English problem, not a, not a Greek or Hebrew problem. And then I looked up, and the three or four people that were in the room's eyes were glassed over. I looked Half at the missed. screen. Yeah. I looked at the screen, and all the people that were joining us online, they were like, I don't care about this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Shut up, Courtney, and move on. Well... <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know exactly. It fascinates me though. Yeah, and that's why I brought it up. Well, let's dive into the 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 uh, the story and, and put ourselves in the story as opposed to in the in the what is the what is the phrase uh, the criticism of the the language script um, source criticism. Maybe that's it. I'm not that's sure. That's your JEDP. No, that's not that. What? We're doing it again. Yeah, we're getting. We've all, done it again. We're getting all brainy on this. Anyway, let's talk about God and Job. So, in kind of response to what Court was saying, with uh, the conversation that he had with Gordon last week, this is the moment that Job is waiting for. Yes, uh, that he's been demanding. That he's been demanding, and that many of us also have been waiting for, or have had times in our life when we're waiting for when God finally shows up and answers in a clear way at least what not necessarily answers by solving the problems that we've been asking for help with but answers in showing up and giving us a response and we often say you know that God answers prayers but not always the way that we would hope for So, uh, for those who have read the whole story of Job, you'll know that he's asking for this opportunity to give his account. Mm -hmm. And like Court and Gordon talked about last week, he's already unsure that he'll be able to properly defend himself, but he wants that opportunity to speak with God face to face. And God shows up here, and rather than actually addressing Job's individual complaints, it seems like God's point is saying, you lack so much knowledge that I can't even address those points. Look at everything that I'm responsible for. Compared to me, you don't even know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I wonder, Court, do you think that that's, what what do you think? Job would have made of that uh, answer, or if you had been in Job's shoes, like would that be sufficient for you? If I would have been in Job's shoes and and happened to be in a froggy mood and ready to jump, mm-hmm. then it would have been okay. I get that you're God and I'm not. Never said otherwise, mm-hmm. but. And my butt would go to something you said a moment ago. Finally, God shows up, mm-hmm. was the words that you said, Yeah, I think. But you definitely said the word finally. So, yes, you're God. Yes, I'm not. I understand that. I've always understood that. But, where were you? Mm-hmm. 
And would that be horribly arrogant? Yes. <laughs> but look what Joe's been through here. Yeah. I mean, he's... He's lost so much. I don't think that at the outset he would have said that. Or let me go back. I don't think at the outset me in his shoes would have said that. Yeah. But he's been through 37 chapters of this garbage now. And constantly has been told, you brought this on yourself, while knowing that he didn't. Mm -hmm. And has just wanted someone to show up and hear him. And, you know, at first the, the... Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar show up and they do that for like 45 seconds each and then they're just lecturing him and that's not what we need when we're beat down and we're calling out to God and God feels so distant and, and, and we're just and his, his wife was throwing stuff in there too mm-hmm. and I, I give her a pass because she's lost her kids and everything too but you know it, it wears on you and it gets to a point and I think Job is here where you start to not care what the consequences are. Mm. You just need something to change. Yeah, you need to hear. Well, yeah, I think I would be disappointed too in a way. You know, I mean, it's impressive that God shows up. But it's like, but after after this whirlwind and God speaks and blasts a lot of hot air back at Job, in my opinion. And, and that's not to say God was wrong. Everything God says is true. It's true, yeah. And Even it, the stuff that God only implies is true. But then I feel, I feel like at the end of it, I would be kind of disappointed. I'd be like, yeah, but what about all the stuff I was asking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I get your Lord, but like, but Job doesn't answer that way. I don't know if we're going to talk about, probably not going to talk about Job again. So um, maybe I can just jump ahead and give... Job's response here, if that's possible. Job responded, this is chapter 40, verse 4. Job responded to the Lord, Look, I am of little worth. What can I answer you? I put my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once, I won't answer. Twice, I won't do it again. So he kind of just like accepts that he has spoken in ignorance. Yeah. And that's hard for me to accept because it's like, I felt like he had some valid claims there. So the end is hard for us to accept. Yeah. The resolution, which is probably added later, is also hard to accept because, yeah, yeah you get the new kids, but they're not the ones that are already dead. Yeah. And then, if you take the beginning, what started all this, which also may have been an add-on, but if you take the beginning and why this comes to be, it makes it even harder to accept Job is the, uh, I'm cautious to use victim, but I'll, I'll say fallout, I guess, the collateral damage of a cosmic tinkling contest. I bet that Job won't mess up. Oh, yeah, let's see. Well, you can do anything but kill him. I mean, after after God comes out of the whirlwind and says, you know, this is what I am and that's what you are. Okay, but you still did this to me, mm-hmm. and you didn't really have a good reason. Yeah, and and I feel terrible even saying that. I don't feel terrible. I just you know, I feel like that makes me some kind of you know jerk. But I mean, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible. That's what it says. Yeah, you know, um, God and the Satan are trying to figure out if they can cause him to slip. 
Yeah. And God doesn't do the stuff to him, but God allows the stuff to happen to him. Yeah. And it seems like it was God's idea. What about my servant Job? Yeah. So. So our faithful listeners are still on the podcast. Everybody who is kind of bored of uh, um, just sort of hypothetical and contextual debate about Job have have left us at this point. So I want to share a personal story. <laughs> You've weeded them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to help put some context here. You know, the book of Job is a powerful book because of you know, the, the fact that so many of us deal with suffering and don't have answers for why. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the reason I've been away from the podcast um, towards the end of the summer, well, f- the whole summer, uh, my wife was uh, uh, going through chemotherapy for Hodgkin's lymphoma. And at first it was like pretty manageable, but uh, it, it just wears on you over time. And I know that there's so many people who have gone through chemo treatments that have been years long. And so her, you know, four months of chemo seem small in comparison. It's not a competition. Yeah. You still live through it. Yeah. Uh, but I, w- I found myself in a place near the end uh, where I was just like, you know, I felt like I was in kind of Job's shoes in a way. And so I think it was our second to last a chemo infusion it takes about four hours and um, <clears throat> I was not allowed to be in there due to COVID protocol so but there was like a window and then a nice little grassy area outside at the picnic table so I usually spent my time sitting out there if the weather was nice and so I sat down there and I decided you know I haven't read Job in a while and I remember reading it the first time and being kind of confused, but I also know that there's somebody here that I can probably empathize with. Mm-hmm. So I just sat down and I, it, you know, it t- took me a little while, but I read straight through the whole book, all 42 chapters. And I feel like it's actually very helpful to do that, to just sit down and read it straight through, because otherwise, if you jump into one section or another, you might get crisscrossed in terms of who's speaking. Yeah. God, Job, his friends, they all have like very long uh, sections, uh, speeches basically, and it's hard to kind of suss out who, you know, where, how the conversation is flowing. But reading it straight through um, was really, uh, really eye opening for me. Um, the friends do a good job. Uh, they do an okay job, at, at least at first, like mm-hmm. you said. They sit down with him, and they don't say anything for seven days. Which is a perfect response. It's great. Yeah, that's what you need when you go through something tragic and traumatic. You just need people to sit with you. And, you know, we've had, been dealing with the flood in this county, and and I've got a lot of folks who are volunteering to help, and they want to know, like, how do we help? And, you know, the, the most important thing is just to listen. Mm-hmm. Listen to people's story. Ask them questions. You know, be curious. And... Um, and then just, you know, and then just comfort them. Um, and, and listening can be a comfort of its own. Of course, then they, these friends get into their debates about what Job must have done wrong. And Job responds to them and, you know, continues to defend his, his character. Uh, I thought in my own reading that the last, the youngest friend, Elihu, 
was really interesting. Uh, he starts to speak in chapter 33, and he talks about how, well, I'm young, so I kept quiet, and I didn't want to say anything, but now I'm like, I can't keep from saying something. He's got this word that's bubbling up from him, inside him, and, and his argument is a little bit different than the three friends. Uh, he, he um, whereas the other friends are always trying to figure out what it is that Job had done wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, you must have sinned somewhere along. Maybe your kids sinned, and that's why you're getting punished. Um, but uh, you, must, <clears throat> you must be hiding something, and if you would just come out with it, then God would forgive you, and then you would have blessings and whatever. Now, he defends that himself against those accusations. But Elihu, his challenge is a little bit different. Um, he says uh, that his argument is really not that Job did anything wrong, but rather that Job does not have a right to address God, period. Mm -hmm. And that God does not have a responsibility to answer. Uh, <clears throat> where can I read you a example of this? Chapter 33, verse 12 now you're wrong about this. I'll answer you, for God is greater than anybody. Why do you contend with him, saying that he doesn't answer all your words? God speaks only in one way, in two ways, but no one perceive it. So his argument is kind of that, you know, God's so high above you that you'll never actually hear from him. Later he says, who placed the earth in his care and who gave him dominion over the entire world? If he were to decide to do it, to gather his spirit and breathe back to himself, all flesh would die together. Humans would return to dust. In a way, he's saying God can't sin because he has absolute authority. And I think God echoes that as well. But, uh, but Elihu's eagerness to defend God, uh, I think, is, is overblown. Like he goes, out of, he, goes, he goes above and beyond uh, what God would even claim. Um, Yeah, so then God shows up. Mm -hmm. Well, can I go back to you really quick? Yeah. Who I always call Eliphaz because I don't know why. There's another friend called Eliphaz. Okay, so I'm not crazy. Yeah, this is All just right, the other so, um, Can you read the verse again that talks about breath slash spirit? Yeah. You know where I'm going with this. I'm doing it again. Go ahead. He, he says... <clears throat> Surely God doesn't act wickedly. The Almighty doesn't distort justice. Who placed the earth in his care and who gave him dominion over the entire world? If he were to decide to do it, to gather his spirit and breath back to himself, all flesh would die together and humans okay. would, would return to dust. So that doesn't seem to make sense. But if you couple that with Genesis, um, the Lord forms humanity out of the ground and then puts life into them. How? He breathes into breath. them. Yeah, he right. kisses the earth. And so it uses two words, spirit and breath. And in Hebrew, it's the same word. It's my favorite Hebrew word, ruach. Ruach. Based on nothing than the fact that it's fun to say. Ruach Adonai. Yeah. But, and so, yeah, ruach Adonai is the breath of God or breath of the Lord. And so, essentially, um, that is why all flesh would drop to, you know, drop dead. Because if God put life into you mm -hmm. god can take it back 
Yeah. But the argument he's making is you're totally dependent. You know, it, if you get tired of sunburn and you could just, you know, destroy the sun, would you do it? Well, you wouldn't get sunburn, but you wouldn't be alive either. You mm-hmm. know? So, so God, we are that dependent on God that we shouldn't question God. But if we were made in the image of God and given souls and the, and the ability to think and reason, why shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. If God gave us these things, does God not want us to use them? Yeah. And aren't we to understand God as, as well as we can? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. There's a fine line. We have to be humble, but we also have to be hungry to want to know more. Right. Yeah. And going back to my own personal story, I, I started reading Elihu. I was basically able to manage my frustration with Job's older friends because I'm like yeah but we know from the beginning from our from our you know from what the narrator has given us insight into the heavenly throne room that actually this is a setup that Job is innocent so what these friends are saying is just not is just incorrect yeah so it's easy to read that and say oh well they're going to be proven wrong but Elihu's challenge is different because for somebody who's going through, you know, watching his 26-year-old wife endure four months of chemotherapy. Which you, you never rule that out in a marriage, but you don't expect it that soon. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, we got married last year, 2020. Well, I'm, I'm not really talking about the marriage, I'm talking about her age. Yeah, and she, yeah, she's young. So Elihu's challenge hits me a little harder and different because... I'm in a situation where I'm really longing for God to show up and to give me some answer and explanation. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that from the, 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 the introduction in the throne room scene where Satan and, and God are, or Hasatan and, and, uh, and God are talking. We don't know, like, is God inaccessible? Does God actually confer with human beings, or does He just talk in His throne room and then send the send His messengers out? And that's the beauty of the end. Yeah, because eventually there is this this outreach to a, a human a human being. Yeah. Can I talk about something similar to what you were talking about? Yeah. Go ahead. Meaning that I'm going to talk about Emily mm-hmm. reading and uh, and Elihu. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to put them together in a weird way. Okay, go ahead. There's a warning in modern day life for being too much like Elihu. So I was reading The Courage to Go, which is a book by Emily, and that is the wife to whom Peter is married. We're going to have to have her on the podcast now talking about this book. We are, and and another one. Anyway, so um, I was reading it, and there's, there's, it's not a constant theme throughout, but, but several times she talks about this almost polluted way that she was trained to view the human body relationships essentially sex and it's you know call it what you want purity movement whatever and she was groomed in the evangelical church to see things a certain way and she gets frustrated with that which many people did we learned uh, as they grew up and you know had to move beyond high school uh, and and weren't insulated anymore. So the chief voice in that movement was is it Josh Harris, is that the guy that that wrote "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. 
Interestingly Joshua enough, Harris. he is an Elihu warning in the flesh. Okay, mm-hmm. because what's happened to him in the last year and a half is he decided that if God is as judgmental and harsh as the God he wrote about, then he just doesn't want any part of God. Mm. Now, he had a choice to make. Admit that he was wrong about the God he wrote. Mm. Or just stop believing in God. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't about to say that he was wrong. Mm. So instead, he just throws the baby out with the bathwater and says, I'm not a believer anymore. Really? But, yeah, because one thing's for sure. God must be what I said God was. That seems like what Elihu is doing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that God is X, Y, Z. In fact, Elihu even says there's, God only communicates one way, two ways, but we don't understand. Yeah. What? Who are you to say how God can communicate? Yeah. Who are you? And, and I don't know Josh Harris, but who are you, Josh Harris, to say that God is as harsh and judgmental and you can murder three people, that's fine, but don't have sex before you're married. Yeah. Mm. Who are you to put your words in God's mouth? Right. But we tend to be Josh Harris's and not be... Please don't sue. I don't know you. I'm just based on based on news articles yeah. and also an interview I read about you, so it's your words. Anyway, <laughs> he ain't listening. So we tend to be like that, yeah. where we have this image of God, and we would rather be frustrated with our image of God and and even lose our faith in the God we've constructed mm-hmm. instead of accepting that we don't know everything mm-hmm. and that maybe God is more loving maybe God is more accepting maybe God's less I don't know but we have to have the humility to understand that we don't understand which I think is kind of the point of what we were what God's words were in our verses today. Yeah. And we don't even know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So, let's want to bring it back to Emily in the book. Yeah. To show the world that I read it. No, it, and, and it reminds me, you know, this, this well, so this, uh, I, I've noticed this coming into uh, Southern Christianity, Southern U.S. Christianity, and particularly getting more exposure to Baptist uh People who are def- who have defected from Baptist Christianity that there's a there's a way in which the ones I ran off <laughs> I don't know there's a way in which within the Baptist Church and within other evangelical churches the the frame of what it means to be Christian is built up so much that if you ever start to feel like I don't agree with all of this then there's no choice but to basically feel like well then I must not be a Christian yeah and that's why I meet so many people who have defected from evangelical or Baptist traditions and now call themselves Buddhists Mm. because they just didn't feel like there was any space for them within Christianity whereas Christianity is a really broad it is uh, really broad religion and always has been and there's yeah and there's there's room for different ways of being a Christian uh, but but there's a yeah there's sort of a kingdom building sort of mindset of like well this is the only way to be a Christian and it's hard even for people like jo- Joshua Harris who 
um, you know, is probably pretty well read and exposed to different viewpoints and everything. He feels... I don't know about that. I don't know. Yeah, he wrote it when he was like 21. I, I'm trying to give him... Yeah, so maybe he is perfect Elihu example of inexperienced. Yeah. But, but Job, uh, in, in this passage that we read today, God shows up and he gives an answer to Job, but his showing up is an answer to Elihu mm-hmm. as well. And when I was sitting on that picnic bench... When I got to this passage, chapter 38, which I, I remember from reading the first time, but uh, when, when God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know, or prepare yourself. I will interrogate you and you will respond to me. In short, when God shows up, it was, I was grateful on Job's behalf because he got the opportunity to hear from God face to face. But I was also really grateful that Elihu was proven wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later, Elihu says in chapter 36, Take care, don't turn to evil, because you've chosen it over affliction. Look, uh, verse 22, Look, God is inaccessible due to his power. Who is a teacher like him? And I wrote here my note is, Elihu is loyal to, to a fault. He defends God's silence. Mm-hmm. God doesn't ask for it, us to defend God's silence. God doesn't ask us to defend God's anything. Yeah. God defends God's self. Right. But to me, this, you know, starting verses in 38 were, um, that was the good news mm-hmm. of Job to me. That, that, that no matter how big God is and how much God is responsible for, when we have a complaint, when we have, um, we when we encounter deep sadness, depression, confusion about loneliness. the world that we loneliness, the world that we live in, uh, and we cry out to God, like we can expect that God might show up and answer us, that that is not out of the question, that God is not somehow higher or inaccessible, like Elihu says claims, out of his youthful ignorance. Um, he's trying to be loyal to God, to defend God, and he's seeing, oh, well, God's not showing up, so maybe because I love God, I need to defend the fact that he's not showing up. And, and I don't know about you, but I've been in that situation as a young person, too, feeling the need to defend God, even when God is not standing up for God's self. Yeah. Uh, but I was grateful to see him proven wrong, because in my own circumstances, I really wanted to hear from God. And I think we all find ourselves in that place at some times. But you said that we can, I don't know what words you use, but it's kind of like we can count on God showing up. What we can't do is count on God showing up the way we want. Right. And that's equally frustrating and, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because it, if we actually want to have that encounter... Mm-hmm then we have to train ourselves to look for God everywhere. Mm. Otherwise, we may miss the encounter. Mm. Now, if it's a whirlwind and God speaks out of it, well, that's pretty obvious. But um, we imagine, okay, well, I'm at my wit's end. I have to make my case before God. And we imagine this cosmic courtroom. And we imagine that, one of the things Gordon and I talked about is this arrogant statement that when I get to heaven, I will ask this. Well, how do you know you're going to get to ask anything? 
Uh, but we have certain expectations of how God will show up or how we'll be able to make our case before God. And I think we will be able to, or we will have the encounter that for which we ask or demand if we're Job. But once you make that appeal, you better open your eyes hmm. because how God comes to you is not something you can predict. Or control. Or, or control. And what God shows you, mm-hmm. like Job is the prime example of here, mm-hmm. is not something you can predict or control. Yeah. And I'm not saying be careful what you wish for. Because I'll bet you, even being quote-unquote put in his place, I'll bet you Job was still glad he had the encounter. Right. But I am saying you be prepared. Yeah. Uh, and you can't control when either, but you know, be prepared because you may not look as great as you thought or you may just be overwhelmed with the experience. When people say prepare to reap the whirlwind, is that what, is this what they're referencing, or is that something know. else? I, I, I know that phrase. Yeah. If you if you whether this is or not, it fits. Yeah. If you plant the wind, reap the whirlwind. Or yeah. I don't know what that means, but but anyway, God does speak out of this whirlwind, and and I do agree with you that I think no matter the fact that Job doesn't get answers for his specific complaints, that uh, he is grateful, in a way. To, he's humbled, but he's grateful that God has showed up. Shown up. I, I, I turned ahead and looked in the, the lectionary, and next week uh, we do get the we do get to to read the the chapter forty two, quote unquote second ending yeah. of of Job, where he gets everything back. But not really. Not really back. He gets yeah. a new set a of children. Yeah, like flashlight batteries. Yeah, it's which, yeah, and 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 speaking of which, you know that. When I got to that in my own personal story, I was like, you know, when I was reading this outside of the the, the infusion center, that wasn't the that wasn't exciting to me. No, the promise of of having things better after going through suffering. You know, like I don't I don't want another wife just because my wife yeah. got cancer. Like, <laughs> yeah. and there's nothing wrong, by the way. Uh, Peter's not saying that if you are a widow or widower and you get married and you're in love that's great yeah but um it's not like you read this and say oh well it, it, it could be better yeah uh and you know try number two will be better yeah I, I i don't see that and and you know we've preached this in in my church as well and i say we because my uh lay leader who's a certified lay speaker and i have kind of tag teamed this passage on sun one sunday to the next and um, and really, uh, the, you know, we, we, we did highlight that last chapter, but it didn't really ring, uh, I, there wasn't really a resonance that like, oh, well, that's the good news of this story. What really came forth is, as the good news is one, like we've been talking about that God does show up when we ask for help. Uh, maybe not in the way that we expect maybe not answering us the way we want, but, but God, I'm not going to say all the time because we've all experienced a time where we wanted God to show up and God didn't show up exactly when we wanted, but uh, God is able to come into our lives and respond to us in ways that we, um, that we can perceive. But the other good news is that our emotions are welcome. Yes. That, that Job is despondent. He is, he is, He's despairing. He is sobbing. He is um, angry. He is bitter. 
and he sh he puts that all on display it, as he laments and his friends want to say hey cool it like yeah. you don't need to put on this whole show um, and he's not really putting on a show he's just he's just honestly showing his emotions and I think the other good news is that uh, is that that is acceptable to God these are gifts these emotions are gifts that we receive from God and and that we're not we don't please or disappoint God by sh by showing them um, so many people who are going through grief uh, that I've counseled, you know, when they, after some, they've lost a loved one, they say for the funeral, I just want to be strong. Yeah, which you don't have to. Yeah, which is kind of like... It's our job. When we say strong, it's like, what we mean by that is not showing emotion. Yeah, I just want to be fake. Right, yeah. which is, and I, you know, so for for me, the good news in Job is is that we can, we can show our weakness, we can show our complaint and, and speak our minds and show our emotions so in jeremiah which is i mentioned this in last week's episode but there's this debate of who influenced who did jeremiah influence Job or did job influence jeremiah because they were written they're both some of the oldest books in the bible hmm. and they're they're written about the same general event and if it matters i think jeremiah influenced job but Jeremiah goes through a very similar thing and he is calling out and wishing for death hmm. and um, he he has a different experience than Job when God comes to him mm -hmm. and essentially what Jeremiah starts with is I don't want to do this I'm doing this because you told me to I'm doing this because I can't not do this because you've put this in me to make me do this and I'm getting hell for it mm. and God comes to him and offers a hopeful future and his response is yeah okay but mm. this still sucks mm. okay and I think that even more than Job although Job does a fine job I think that even more than Job shows that God welcomes our honest truth and wants to hear from our experience because even a God who created the earth and knows what we're going through mm. isn't us. Mm -hmm. And just like you and I could go through the same event. So Peter is, we hope, scheduling and stuff. Peter is going to go hunting for the first time with me this year. And... One of the things I tell hunters is, you know, when the deer is there, it's one thing to c conceive, I will kill a deer. But when the deer is in front of you, that's a different thing. And some people choose not to pull the trigger, and that's fine. Some people, but if you do, this is where I'm going with this. Some people will, after that trigger is pulled, I'm talking grown men. Some of them, which we, we totally ignored the be a man part of mm. this. But anyway, um... Even among grown men, some people will pull a trigger and start shaking. Some will pull a trigger and smile. Some will pull a trigger and scream because they're happy that they have done this. Some people, even though they're glad they did this, even though they get meat to feed their families, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, will pull a trigger and just start crying because they took a life. Yeah. The same experience is different for everyone. And so God welcomes 
the truth that you share from your experience, whether God agrees with you or not. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's what a loving God does. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. we don't need to keep a stiff upper lip. Mm-hmm. We can be real and emotional. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news to my story uh, is that Emily is um, in full remission. And uh, certainly that was something that I was praying for. Absolutely. We didn't know that that would be the answer, but I'm grateful for it. I'm also grateful that, you know, for some reason I was motivated to read this book in that, po- in that, in that very particular time in my life because it helped me see, like, what the value of this story really is. Um, yeah. So, uh, I do contend with God still, and I encourage all of our listeners to do so. I think if you don't, then essentially your relationship with God is dishonest. Mm. You know? Yeah. I mean, if we're if you're disappointed with your relationship with God, if you feel like God should show up, then I, I encourage you to to cry out and to sh- and to find a place where you can where you can allow those emotions to flow and 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 speak honestly with God and and uh, I believe that that God will answer you. So um speaking of Emily and courage to go which I did earlier. Uh, Peter alluded to the fact that we want to have her on the show. Um it's her choice when she wants to do it, when she's ready to do it. But if you are wondering uh, it is available on emilydauberstein.com I think there you go yeah I think that's her website Um, she's also on Instagram and Facebook but uh, yeah it's a good read and uh, we'll have her on the show to talk about it if she's willing yeah and uh, anyway uh, blessings on all of you our listeners it's good to be back it's great to have you back it's not that I don't like well, I, I'll be honest with you. I can't stand doing it by myself. Yeah. Because right? it's not Pastor Pollock then. It's, That's it's, true. It's a lie. That's true. So, uh, but I do enjoy doing it with others like Gordon. And I might do I might do something with Aaron Yao for another time. You can't be here. And we'll just have it to play. Um, but it's it's great to be with my friend. So yeah. glad, you, glad you made time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, for Pastor Pollock, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. Peace.